Good morning. Oh, okay. I was here, and then I was gone, and now I'm back again. That's a lot like the passage we're going to read today, so let's jump right in. Uh, we are in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, and this is the fifth week that we've been studying through this passage, and next week, Todd Miller will wrap up this series for us as he reads from chapter 17, where Jesus prays this awesome prayer. Jesus' prayer is for the unity and the encouragement and the strength of his disciples at that time and for all time. And so next week, you're going to get a very encouraging message from Todd. And today, we're going to be at the end of chapter 16. And Jesus has been uh, talking now, I would expect, by the time we get to the end of 16, for quite some time. I mean, this is multiple chapters of, of discussion, and he's been telling these disciples that something very hard is about to happen. And so over the last weeks, we've talked about some of the disappointment they were experiencing. And as we pick up today, we're in verse 16, so I'd invite you to open up and be in John 16, 16 with me. And Jesus is continuing to address them about the fears that they have. They know he's about to go, but they don't know exactly what that means. And so this is what he says to them. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Well, you know, how arcane, Jesus. You know, how, how mystical, uh, how, how troubling. You know, in a little while, you won't see me, and then you will see me. The disciples are like, oh, what are we doing, Jesus? Playing hide and go seek? And so Jesus says, you know, you know this, this mystical saying to them, this confusing thing, and they are puzzling amongst themselves. It says, at this, some of the disciples said to one another, so I guess they turn away from Jesus, and they're discussing amongst themselves, what does he mean by saying in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me because I'm going to the Father. So they're, they're puzzling it out amongst themselves. And I think this is one of the most interesting and fascinating little pieces of Scripture. Just these four little verses are really kind of hilarious and, and very personal. You get this human feeling from these apostles because he said to them, I'm going to leave you. And then they puzzle amongst themselves, what does he mean in a little while you'll leave us? And then they kept asking in verse 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. And then in verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And the really funny thing about these verses is that John, the author of this gospel, took the time to write out four verses in a row the question that they were troubling over. Instead of just saying, Jesus said, you know, I'll be gone for a little while and then you'll see me again, and then John goes, you know, and they were questioning about that, and they were asking each other about that, and then Jesus addressed that. He writes it out, he spells it out, and he wastes space on his parchment, which was very valuable. And, and space was a rare and, and, and expensive commodity in a, in a scroll. And John takes four verses in which he writes out time after time, you know, the problem was this little issue with you're going to see me, but not for a little while, and then you'll see me again. And they're going, but how long is a little while? They're asking, you know, we're fine with you coming back. But how long is a little while? 
Have you ever wondered what it might feel like? Maybe you experienced this in your home. If you were the child of a parent whose profession took them away for large chunks of time, maybe you grew up in a home in which one of your parents was still in active military duty, and there was a moment in which they'd have to get down on a knee next to you and explain, for a while you're not going to see me, but then you'll see me again. I'm coming back. But for a while, for a few months, you know, little Johnny, you're going to have to be the man of the house, take care of your mother. For a while, little Susie, you're going to have to be another woman in the house. You're going to have to really, you know, help your mom, or you're going to really help your dad if the mom might be the service member, but in one way or the other. They're explaining to the little one, I've got to go for a while. And what is going through the mind of that child? What was going through your mind if you experienced something like this? This question, but how long is it? How long will I have to be alone? And this, we already know, has been their major problem in these, in these chapters because they were asking Jesus several chapters ago. In chapter 14, they were saying, but where are you going and how do we get there and how will we know the way? They're really troubled by being left alone. And so I want you to put this in your notes. It's very important that you notice today that even though Jesus doesn't address the fear directly until the end of today's passage, this is the question that John highlights that they're worried about by saying, how long is a little while? We, you know, like a week? Because if it's much longer than that, we'd like you to change the plan, Jesus. And I remember as a child riding in the car asking my mom and my dad, you know, when will we get there? Anybody ever ask that question? When will we get there? How long is a little while? And this was the answer they crafted for me because in my 1980s childhood, this made a lot of sense to me. They would say, well, about two Sesame Streets and a Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Just two and a half hours. And I would be ticking off in my head, okay, okay, this seems a lot longer though than a regular Sesame Street. It always seems longer when we're the ones waiting. And this, this idea that we could be alone, this is fearful for people. This is something that we're all a little bit worried about. In fact, one of the great oxymorons of our time is reality television. The idea that people, TV producers, will take a concept, a human fear or a challenge, and they will make a show out of it that they call reality, although oftentimes they're very scripted. And one of these reality television shows that has gripped the country in the last year or so, done better than expected, is a show called Alone. And it taps into this human fear, this kind of primal fear of, I don't want to be by myself for too long. Outside of community isn't a good place to be. And so here's a screenshot from one of their uh, trailers about the show. It started in 2015 and it played again. The second season was this summer and the third season actually just started in December. They're in season three right now. The first two seasons, they, they took 10 contestants and these 10 contestants were allowed to take 10 survival items. 
So they were allowed to choose, you know, do you want an ax or a saw? Or you can take both, but then you're going to have to give up something else like a tarp. And one of the promotions for the show was the people explaining why did they choose the 10 items that they chose. And it asks here on this, uh, on this promotion screen grab, it says, predict the last man standing. Because the crux or the whole point of this show is that they're so separated from the other contestants, they won't see another human being until they either capitulate and they use their satellite radio to call for help and admit defeat or someone arrives on a boat and says, you're the last man standing. And they've got to wait it out not knowing how many people are still waiting, how many people are still surviving. They're separated by rivers and mountains so much that they can't possibly run into each other by accident. So you're asked to predict the last man standing. The things these guys go through are amazing, and some of, them were, uh, some of them were men, and some of them were women, and they all believed themselves to be survival experts. This man, Alan Kay from Georgia, uh, is the contestant who won the first season. And so you get to see him the longest because he lasts until the last episode, and watching the psychological trouble that these people go through being alone is really impressive. This is what Alan looked like during the promotional photo shoot before he was left alone for 56 days. Yeah, he lived by himself on Vancouver Island where there's grizzly bears and wolves and cougars and not a whole lot of protein to eat unless you're really good at fishing for 56 days. And by the end, he looked like this. This is the same guy. And look at his face. It's drawn. It's gaunt. His beard's shaggy, right? This is what happens, women, when you leave men alone. <laughs> this is why in Genesis 2, God said, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And all the women said, amen, because they'll turn into this. I will make a helper who's just right for him. And so God knew from the very beginning, you know, if we just let people live in isolation, it will be devastating to their psyche, to their spirit, to their soul. I can't just leave Adam in here by himself. And in fact, just imagine a world in which God made us all like one gender or where gender didn't even matter. It's like, you know, there's not any type of relationship between husband and wife. And so this God is saying it's good for man to have companionship. And here he's particularly talking about marriage between a man and a woman, Eve, who he creates, because the woman will help take care of this. It'll motivate the man to do more, to build more, to try harder. God also puts it this way about friendship, another kind, another way of staving off this aloneness. He says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we know that it was God's plan from the beginning, his best plan, that we not be alone, not forever. And so back to Jesus in verse 20, John 16, verse 20. Jesus continues, he says, very truly I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And we referenced this last week in the verse that's coming next. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy 
So he's telling them there's something you're going to pass through very hard that will be worth it on the other side. And here's the, the analogy he uses. The woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But notice this. When her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so we referenced this last week, but Jesus is saying the thing that you're delivered through or in the delivery of this child, the place that you arrive is so much better than the place where you started that it's worth the difficulty and the pain of the transition. It's worth the voyage. It's worth the journey. So with you, now, to these disciples, is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. So he's painting the picture of where will they arrive? You know, this joy like having a child, where will they arrive later? Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So you're gonna have a relationship with God where he will answer your prayers. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive. Your joy will be complete. Though I have, not, though I have been speaking figuratively, so he says, I, I acknowledge I've been using this metaphor of birth and all of that. A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. I won't have to ask him for you anymore. You're gonna know him. Know the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. And notice what Jesus says. God is going to answer your prayers. He's going to listen to you. He's going to come to you. You won't be alone. He's going to know you because you've loved me, Jesus Christ, and because you've believed that I came from God. I think this is going to influence the way the disciples respond to this teaching in just a few verses from here because now they can see that there is an imperative. Jesus needs to know, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Are you going to follow along with my plan? Do you believe I came from God? I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So it still doesn't change the plan. You need to believe, but this is the plan. I'm leaving you. And there are some times when disciples like these or like you and I have to accept that the middle of the journey is very painful and sometimes lonely. There are some times, you could say, when we have to stand alone in this evil world. There are some times when Jesus has to go to heaven in order that he can send the Spirit later. There are some times that the child at home has to let the parent who's in active military service go because, you know, unless I go, I can't protect our country. I can't come back home giving you a safe nation unless I go, right? And Jesus says, you've got to stand alone for a while while I'm gone. And here's an example of this. Sometimes we have to stand alone in this evil world. Noah was a righteous man. And listen to what Genesis 9, uh, 6, 9 says. The only blameless person living on the earth at that time. Talk about the difficulty of standing alone. Noah's the only one who will stand for God. And yet it says he walked in close fellowship with God. 
In one sense, he's very alone. No one else will stand for God. And yet he has this communion with God himself. Jesus addresses this also in his talk to the disciples. He says, now, uh, they say to him, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. We like the promises about God coming to us and giving us joy. Now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And so the disciples have been listening, and they've heard him say, if you believe, you'll have this communion with God. And they say, this does make us believe. And I think at this moment in their hearts, that was pretty real. They desperately want to believe. But Jesus says to them, do you now believe? Do you really believe? Are you sure you get it? Are you really willing to go and and be alone for a little while so that I can send you what you really need? Will you stand alone for God? Do you get it? Do you now believe, Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. And this is again, it's like he's He's doing to them what he's already done three or four times this night. He's, he's warning them again, and they're like, okay, we've heard it. You'll be scattered. And what we expect you to hear next, what you would expect to read next is Jesus would say this, so prepare to be alone. But what Jesus says next is, you'll be scattered to your own homes. You will leave me alone. By the time the night is over, It won't be that I left you. It'll be that you left me. You who were so afraid that we would be separated. You who were so afraid that I was going away for a time. You who kept asking me over and over, how can we know the way to where you'll go? Where are you going? By the time the night is over, I'm the one that's going to be abandoned. You'll leave me alone. And yet Jesus says this before he's done talking to them. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Just like Noah, the righteous person that stands against a world of opposition in faith, in obedience, in in belief in God's plan, is never truly alone. And Jesus says, you leave me alone, but I won't be all by myself. My Father is with me. And I want you to write this down because it's so important. It's so important that you understand that this is the message of the Old Testament, the message of the New Testament, message of Noah, the message of Jesus. No child of God is ever alone. Our fearful hearts will testify inside of us That my loneliness is because God hasn't fulfilled my life. Did you hear that? Our hearts will tell us inside of us that the reason I feel lonely, the reason I feel lonely in my not being married, the reason I feel lonely inside of my marriage, the reason I feel lonely inside of my larger family, the reason I feel lonely at church is because God hasn't fulfilled my needs. But his promise to you is that if you would believe me, if you would 
trust that I came from God. No child of God is ever alone. I will not leave you. Look at the way he promises it in different scriptures. As Jesus wraps up here, he says this, I've told you this thing and these things so that you'll have peace. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Mirroring Jesus' statement here in the Old Testament. Oh, in John 14. I put these in the wrong order. John 14, he had already told them this. He said, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. You'll never be alone. In 2 John 2, he says this. Because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. The truth that God puts in our hearts will never leave you. Here's the Old Testament passage that I was looking for. In Isaiah 49, God wrote this through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel who had suffered some severe trials and felt very abandoned. He said, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. You know, the people of Jerusalem have said, God gave up on us. The Lord has forgotten me. This is what their hearts feel. But God replies, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Don't you think if I've gone through the pain of giving birth to you, gone through the pain of having this relationship with you, that I would remember you? that I would want to experience the joy of having you as my child, God says. We've gone through all of this together. I went through the, the pain of labor and delivered you, and you think I'm gonna forget the joy that's on the other side? Can a mother do that? And he says, even though humans may do that, though she may forget, I will not forget you. God says, I will not forget you, Israel. I will not forget you, Christian, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And this, this turn here by God, this little phrase here through the mouth of Isaiah by God plays off of something that the people said earlier in Isaiah 44, 5, where it says some of these people who wanted to be diligent servants of God wrote on their hand, they engraved on their hand, the Lord's. And they thought it was their place to like tattoo themselves and say, you know, I belong to God because I've got it tattooed here. Or because I wear the WWJD bracelet. Or I've got good Christian t-shirts that like remind people like, who do I belong to? I belong to God. I'm the Lord's. And he says, no, that's not the way faithfulness works in this relationship. You see, I've not forgotten you. No matter what you do in your wardrobe or in your tattoos or in your mind or in your daily Bible study, I won't forget you because I've written you on my hand. You think that this relationship is all about you showing me through some a tattoo, some mark, how much you believe. This relationship is because I believe in you, because I love you, because I chose you. Your walls are ever before me. Spoken again to Jerusalem, whose walls were broken, whose hope was shattered. And maybe you can take some comfort from this too, because whatever is shattered in your life is always before God. We want to leave you here today with just this gentle reminder, a loving reminder, that no matter how your heart feels inside, God is still waiting to show you the joy 
of your fellowship with him. Amen, church? We would love to be part of the journey with you. We'd love to share in prayer. We'd love to see you put on baptism and and choose Christ as your savior here at this church. Amen, church? We would love to carry your burdens with you, and our shepherds are willing to help with that. And so are the ministers here. In a moment here, we'll sing a song of invitation and just ask you to think about in your heart, do you feel lonely, separated, isolated? If so, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen, church. Amen. Let's stand and sing the invitation song.